Richard Strauss's Sonatina No. 1 in F major for 16 winds is a work of musical escapism, an elderly composer's retreat from barbarism into a musical Arcadia. And for Strauss, Arcadia chiefly meant two things, firstly Mozart and secondly nostalgia. Strauss was almost 80 when he wrote this work and Having overseen the premiere of his opera Capriccio the previous year, he felt his life's work was complete. Consequently, this sonatina was composed not for posterity, but simply to keep his mind occupied. Also, as he joked to a friend, his right hand, which was now relieved of conducting duties and thus needed to be kept active. But I think there was an even deeper motive behind this work and its companion, the second sonatina, it was to block out the horrors wrought by a decade of Nazism, horrors that Strauss was quite, if not fully, aware of. These horrors included retaliatory bombing by the Allies of German cities. A few months after completing the Sonatina, Strauss would be rendered inconsolable by the destruction of Munich's historic National Theatre, to him a sacred place which had seen the birth of so much that represented the best of German culture. With so much ugliness around him, both local and imported, it was no wonder Strauss wanted to fill his head with beautiful sounds. Who wouldn't? So the first sonatina, nicknamed From the Workshop of an Invalid, is virtually free of ugliness and discord. You might think of it as a Mozart-inspired opera for winds, but without a villain. And therein lies the challenge for the performers. 38 minutes of unfailing beauty could wear thin. Hence the need for the players to grasp every possible moment of conflict and make the most of it. Played with this in mind, the first sonatina can become a ravishing work of exquisite subtlety. The final instrumental works of Strauss are light years away from the dissonances which had shocked audiences decades earlier in Zalome and Electra, but Strauss's harmonic ingenuity is everywhere abundantly evident. The very first eight bars are typical of this, beginning in E-flat major and, by sleight of hand, gradually revealing to us the home key of F major. Every bar demonstrates Strauss's unsurpassed mastery of instrumental colour and balance, and his ability to string out a melodic line seemingly forever. His one notable innovation is to combine two forms into one movement, the central romance and minuet. By doing so, Strauss has three movements perform the work of four. Strauss gave this sonatina its quirky nickname, having composed at least half of it during a nasty bout of influenza what could be more appropriate during our current pandemic. Rachel, one of the things I find interesting about this piece, as you know, it was, it was written very late in Richard Strauss's life when he was holed up at his uh, house in the Alps and the war was sort of raging down below him and he wrote it really to keep his mind occupied. He didn't really think it would ever be played. It's, it's very, very personal. It's very beautiful. And it looks back to Mozart a lot. But one thing I find interesting about this piece, I'm not a wind player, I'm a pianist. So this is something I never have to worry about it. 
But Strauss develops this technique of swinging from one tonality to another in a heartbeat and then swinging somewhere else. And I want to talk to you about tuning. Is it very difficult to maintain accurate tuning in a piece like this? You've really uncovered something we spent quite a bit of time when we were rehearsing for this. The greatest beauty of playing with such a passionate ensemble is that everyone takes a great responsibility and ownership for the intonation. As you said, there is very fast changes of tonality and ordinarily it could be easy just to kind of sit back and think, okay, we're in F major, think about an A. It's, it's a major third, I can just keep placing that a bit lower the whole time, but you just can't have that kind of um, laid back approach. Um, so no one can have their head down in their parts just playing. Everyone has to be constantly listening, constantly alert for what, what's happening. It did help that we'll have maybe a few people with eyes on the score so that they can be checking what's going on there. And I think that's, that's really great when you have a group of people who all care about having a great finished product and all aware about what's happening. And yeah, we help each other out in that way. Well, that's good to hear. That's how it should be. I want to know about the protocol of this, though. If you hear something that you think's not quite right, how do you approach it? Do you just say, hey, listen, I think you're flat? <laughs> or, or is there a particular way of raising this? I think um, having a spirit of collaboration is very nice. No one wants to be told that you are flat because the chances are you could say that and be confident that you're correct, but chances are you may not have heard correctly or you haven't taken something into consideration. So a much better approach to that would be just maybe asking a question, where, where does everyone think this chord is sitting? Or um, just, just and asking for maybe a consideration, just alerting others, or oh, just so you guys know, I'm the tonic of this chord or I am this and it's more about um, especially when you're playing with people who know what they're doing it's more just about alerting them to the problems you don't have to tell someone that they're flat or sharp it's just maybe we need to listen a little bit better here. Now as I said this work as so much of Strauss does looks back to Mozart whom he idolized what do you see in the writing that links those two composers? When I think of Mozart the words that just spring to mind is an, a certain elegance and lightness, um, which you can really hear throughout this whole um, this piece. And it's, it's really delightful to play, but it's also challenging in that he wrote it for a wind ensemble. And now if you think about the kind of sounds that wind players produce in general, we're very capable of sustained blocks of sound. And in fact, that's what we're trained to do with solo repertoires, that you've got a minimum, you play that minimum um, for the full range. But then suddenly you're in a group where if everyone's doing that, just the texture becomes a wall of sound and none of those beautiful intricacies of rhythms and melodies getting passed around, they can't be heard anymore. So one thing that is really important is that we just play in a very light manner and listening for who's got the melody, who's playing just a harmony or a, or a sustained note and getting out of the way um, so that that transparency and lightness and elegance can come out.
I'm going to tax your memory now, perhaps, because it is a while since you performed it, but what do you remember as the trickiest moments for the flutes in this piece? At the end of the day, the notes themselves are just notes. They can be learnt any day, any time. I think what's more challenging is not what you can do in your own practice room. That's always possible. Anything's possible in the practice room. It's when you get into a group with people and then having to um, be able to produce the different kinds of sounds that are required. So if you think about the range of a wind ensemble, the range is not that great compared to maybe orchestral playing. You've got oboes and clarinets and you're all kind of in the same range. So the flute being able to have different sounds for when you're the melody and be able to just really <laughs> pump that out um, or having a light sound that just floats on the top of a chord. That's the greatest challenge of using the ears and the imagination to adapt to each situation. I think that's more tricky than any technical bits. Terrific, Rachel. Thanks very much. It's great to talk to you and I oh, really enjoyed pleasure. the performance. Thank you very much. I'm Phil Lambert and this is Anam Radio. Our next podcast will feature the flute concerto of Jacques Hibert with soloist Cassandra Slater. Thanks for listening. <laughs>